So I'm working at my computer uh, one afternoon, one morning, and our youngest son, Wesley, he comes to show me this catalog that he has. Dad, look at this catalog. He's a little, he's a little cute fella. He's, he's probably four or five. And the catalog is a catalog of outdoor equipment that's really expensive. I couldn't afford anything in that catalog. I don't even know why the thing came to our house. Uh, so I look at that, and I, he says, look at that backpack. It was just an obscenely expensive backpack. And I remembered as a kid going through my scout handbook and reading all about things that I would almost never do. And I said to Wesley, we don't need that backpack. We have a backpack in the garage. You want to go on a hike today? He's like, yeah. Well, the backpack didn't have any straps, so I had to go put twine on the little knapsack thing so that we could take our hike. And we we wouldn't be able to go, like, hike the mountains or anything. We were going to go hike in the city park but we i said to the other the older brothers hey we're going on a hike today and everybody needs to get their stuff that they need to you know to forge out into the wild and like they got all excited about that and we made a peanut butter sandwich and we put it in the little backpack and we put the twine on the backpack and then wesley got a big nalgene bottle 32 ounces of water he hooked that with a carabiner on the backpack he was ready to go i thought he's going to carry that about five minutes right or maybe less, and we go to the city park, and off we go, and the older guys are kind of playing along, and there's little Wesley with his backpack, is pulling him backward, and this heavy water bottle is hanging off the back. It's almost hanging to the ground, and up the hill he goes, and he gets to the top of the hill, and we're about 10 or 15 minutes into our, into our life-threatening hike, you know, in the city park, and Wesley says, Dad? I'm like, yeah. He goes, can you, can you carry this for me? I knew that was coming, right? So I just reach over, and when I take it, I'm like, whoa, whoa, it was really heavy. I'm like, what's in here? He says, well, calculator. I said, what? Yeah, what's in here? Calculator, he says, a calculator. I'm like, why did you put a calculator in here? He goes, I just wanted something to take on the hike. And I open it up to look at this calculator, which is the world's heaviest calculator, right? And I realized that our Aunt Jean had sent us an adding machine. And it was like the kind you plug in. It was a big, heavy, like, doorstop of an adding machine. And he was thundering around the the woods carrying an adding machine in his backpack. I'm like, Wesley, Wesley, this is too heavy, man. you got to pack lighter. Most of us are doing the same thing with the things that burden our heart. And we're talking here about how to craft a holy life because sin will weigh you down. It will mess you up. It will discourage you. And we've already said a few things today that are kind of discouraging. Let me encourage you with something. And that is, God doesn't want you to have to carry along a heavy load of sin to burden you down in your life. You don't have to live like that. And that's why we're going to talk about how to craft a holy life. And you know, this is really important. You know, the scriptures say in Mark and chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and thefts and covetousness and wickedness and deceit and lewdness and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. That isn't happy news. That isn't happy news right there. 
but it's true. So God, what, we, what we need to understand is that sin is worse than our little humorous story about carrying a, an adding machine. It comes from inside, and it can really bring us into, it can ruin everything beautiful in our life. It can crush everything that means a lot to us. It can mess up your parenting. It can mess up your job. It can mess up your marriage. It can rob you of your joy. And so there's a way to deal with the sin that comes into our life and, and to acknowledge it is important. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, Peter says there, I'm begging you, he says, as sojourners and pilgrims, you guys are making your way through this world like hikers, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which do this. Listen, they, what do they do? They they war against the soul. So the stuff that we kind of lightly dismiss, the sins that bother us, the Bible says we need to fight them because they war against the soul. They will mess you up. They will destroy what's beautiful and good. They will suck all the life out of you. And this is why we're going to have this series of messages of, of tools, you know, that we can use to craft a holy life. And this comes out of my heart it comes out of my own personal life. This didn't come out of a book. This isn't borrowed material. My goodness, this has been hard fought. Like, as I walk with the Lord, uh, since I've been a little boy and received Christ as I was five years old, and I want to live a holy life, and I find that I have these besetting sins that just keep crushing in on me. And so I've been to seminary, Bible school, seminars, summer camp, Sunday school, I've listened, I've taken notes, I've practiced things, asking God to give me wisdom about how I can war against the sin that wars against my soul, how I can have virtues present in my life and, and vices, you know, absent from my life that, that don't please the Lord. And I kind of want to do like you should do too, like David did. And he said in that beautiful psalm, Psalm 139, that's just so beautiful and so full of beautiful things. He gets to the end of that psalm where, where God says, I know you and I understand you and you can't get away from me because I will hunt you down and love you. And uh, you, if you take the wings of the morning and, and you dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even the, you know, remember that psalm, that beautiful Psalm 139? When it gets to the end of that psalm, David says, well, if all of this is true, search me and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. And then he says this interesting phrase. See if there's any wicked way in me. Now, you know, the bad news is before the good news. The, the, the morning is before the joy. I need to tell you that if you want to have the full experience of rich fellowship with the Lord, if you want to have the full experience of joy that only God can give, you got to mourn first. You got to look within. You have to ask God to search your heart and show you the sin that's in there. It's the only way out. So that's why we're talking about this. Now, one of the ways to do this is to look into the mirror of the Bible. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible says about the Bible that the Bible is like a mirror of the soul. You look into the Bible to see yourself. And one of the places you can see yourself is in the sin list, the vice lists of the Bible. You're familiar with them. They're this big, long, I read you just one of them just now. And they're all throughout the Bible, the list of sins. And you know what we tend to do is we tend to cherry pick the sins that we don't struggle with because it's a little easier that way. But for this series, it's the sins you struggle with, you want to work on. So I would suggest that you look in the Word or you remember what the Word says so that you're reminded of the sins you struggle with. Like, imagine that you're pulling a little three-by-five card out of your pocket right now. Uh, I'm always carrying these around with me. And I want you to just imagine, with your imagination, that you're going to write it down. You're not going to do this because rule number one, do not document your sin. 
I'm just saying from personal experience, bad idea. If you're going to sin, well, yeah, don't sin. But if you do, like, don't document it. <laughs> don't do it in front of a camera. You know what I'm saying? People will bring that up. People that don't like you are going to, you ever had an experience with that? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Anyway, but you can put a little, like, put a little, um, let's say gossip is your problem. You put a G on the card. No one will know. Yeah, slander, prejudice, dishonesty, you know, whatever it is. You know, in your brain, pull out your little three-by-five card and put the thing that you're taking aim at. With some of us, you know, we need like a stack of three-by-five cards, just saying. You just seriously get writer's cramp, writing all that down. Maybe all of us are that way a little bit. What I'm saying is it's a good idea here for at the beginning to realize that since sin could destroy everything good about your life, you want to take aim at it like one at a time and use the means that God has given to wrestle this thing down. And we're talking here now to believers, people who already know the Lord, right? And, and what I'm saying is you look in the Bible for the list of virtues that are, at, or for the list of vices that are present in your life. And then look in the Bible, there are other lists, and I've listed some of them if you, some of you have notes there. Uh, you look at other lists in the Bible are our list of virtues that are absent. So just think of it like this. Vices that are present in your life that you want to get out. Virtues that ought to be present in your life that aren't there, that you want to be a part of who you are, your very character. And the scriptures promise that this is possible. And I love this. You know, the scriptures, they say that God has given us exceeding great uh, promises that we could be partakers. This is in first peter that we could be partakers of the divine nature i'm sorry did i say first peter no it's second peter now take a look in your bible at second peter chapter one and verse three this is when you might want to make a note of his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness god and his power is going to give you everything that you need you want to say amen right there that it's a, that's an amen spot right there um, God, I'll just read it again to give you that chance because it's fun. See, if, see what you think. All right. His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay. And then it says, um, if through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature wow that's just a staggering promise can you imagine that god is saying through his word that we can be partakers of the divine nature through the promises of god in other words there are some virtues that should be in your life and can be in your life and there are ways and means of embedding those virtues in your life and there are ways of getting vices and sins and ugly things and bad habits out of your life that don't need to be there because they're contrary to the nature of god this is the promise of the bible your temperament your personality the way you look that stuff doesn't change but you change inside out by this spiritual transformation and, and kind of that's what we're talking about here and that's why it's really so important that we understand that we're going to give an account to god you know for all of our thoughts and our attitudes and our words and our deeds and our motives those of us who know the lord when we come to know the lord our sins are judged at calvary and there's no condemnation to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe there is a time of, 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 of evaluation of our works before the Lord, and we want to be aware before God of our thoughts and our attitudes and our words and our deeds and our motives. And if we're not, here's what happens when we let sin kind of take root. I made a little list, comes out of my own life, and I want to share it with you. Here are some of the things that, we, that, we're, that happen when we, when we don't 
you know, tend to the vices and we don't attend to adding virtues to our life. When you, things you're, that are about to happen when you choose to sin, you're about to hurt the people that depend on you. These are just some random things that I think about. When I think about, should I sin? Should I indulge myself in this sin? This uh, not careful word, this overindulgence in food, this lust, whatever it is. I'm going to hurt the people that depend on me. So stop before you sin think, before you do this, remember, you're going to hurt the people who depend on you. Here's another. You're about to become addicted because sin is like that. You're taking a step toward bondage, enslavement to sin. You're about to give Satan and other people a means of accusation. That's not smart. Give a means of accusation. You're about to damage or destroy your testimony for God and your personal reputation. You're about to discredit God. They say private sin is an open scandal in heaven. My private sin, open scandal in heaven. You're about to forfeit eternal rewards. You're about to break, or maybe a better way of saying that would be break your sense of fellowship with the Lord. Your purpose in life, your joy, your satisfaction in life, what do they depend on? They depend on intimacy with God. And your intimacy with God, your sense of intimacy with God is damaged by sin, and that's probably the worst thing about it. And so you got to kind of know the enemy. You kind of know, we kind of got to know what we're talking about here. When I was a boy, my dad was a chaplain in Vietnam, and we went to Fort Riley, Kansas, and just for fun and frolic, one afternoon, they decided to take all the kids of the officers to the officers club, down to the basement of the officers club. You know, they didn't take us to the pool, they didn't show us a happy Disney film, they showed us tactics of the Viet Cong. That's a really dumb idea. For the kids, you know, of the, of the, they said, you know, your dad's going to Vietnam, and these are the traps they're going to lay for him. Let's all just sit in the basement and watch a film about that. It, was, it wasn't really, I don't know who thought of that. That was a bad idea. I think Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs might have been a better idea. But the tactics of the Viet Cong. So I remember as a boy just saying, okay, along the path, the Viet Cong, you know, the guerrilla fighters there in South Vietnam, the North Vietnamese guerrilla fighters that came into South Vietnam, what they're going to do is they're going to do things like they're going to dig a hole in the path and they're going to they're gonna put sharp sticks and they're going to put cow manure on the sharp sticks and they're going to cover it over with uh, straw and then the GIs are going to come and step on that and get their foot infected. And I was like, wow. You know, it's probably a good idea to have films like that. I'm just saying showing them to kids is probably not a good idea. But, the, but we should know the tactics of the enemy. We should know our areas of vulnerability. So I just kind of want to establish this by saying that you should, I'm trying to say to you, a series of messages that we're going to bring here about the five tools that are powerful biblical tools that help us craft a holy life. They will help us a lot more if we honestly identify who the enemy is and what we're talking about, what sins you know, we're fighting against. And that would be kind of important. And so then, uh, what I want to do today is I want to kind of go through five of these, but I want to emphasize one in particular. So it may frustrate you. You, you may want to take the notes you have and just like put them in your Bible and ignore them. And then later on, all the stuff I didn't say, some of that is going to be in those notes. So some of you are not going to be able to do that because your temperament won't allow you, but look around all the good rats, just put the, the notes away, and they're not paying attention to them right now. So just, if you don't mind, like my mother used to say, look at me, Kenny, look at me, all right? So here we go. Here's what I want to get across. The first tool to use to craft a holy life, and the most powerful tool, one of the most powerful tools, is a tool that we would easily overlook because it's so simple, we've heard of it all of our lives, and yet it's underutilized, and that is to pray. And the different kinds of prayer, 
that can be used to fight against sin are profoundly helpful. For instance, the first one that I think about is, is the prayer that often happens in the Bible of acknowledging the, the sins of our forefathers. This is interesting because it's not some mystical business, I don't believe. I think what it is is like we are recognizing our weakness and we're recognizing that we're sinners and that our people are sinners and that we live among sinners and uh, if things go like we think they would normally go, we're going to get in, in bondage to sin and we're destroyed by sin. And the first kind of prayer that's powerful in fighting sin is to acknowledge to God, God, my people are sinful. And this is specifically how they're sinful. And so, for instance, in, in my family, I, I kind of won't name it right now, maybe for a little money later on, I could, I could, I could do that for you. I guess it's the second week in a row I've been appealing for money, so forget that. I, I didn't mean that. Somebody sent me $2 this week because I said if my Facebook friends would send me a dollar a week. So that program didn't work too well. That's not even a decent cup of coffee, but thanks anyway, whoever that was. Um, but I, will, I, can, I can tell you these things. But, what, but here's the thing. In my family, there are areas, when I look back and I remember the stories of my family, there are areas of sinful weakness in my family. And there are good folks in my family. I'm proud of them. I love them. But there are areas of sinful weakness that are like, oh my goodness, look at that. Oh, and he did that too, and he did that too. And so you know what? Maybe, maybe I have an area of weakness there. Let's just acknowledge that to God. I'm responsible for my own sin, but I'm vulnerable in the areas of sin where my family has been vulnerable to sin. And so it's interesting when you look in the Bible, you see that Nehemiah, he prayed, and he acknowledged the sins of his forefathers. And Jeremiah, when he prayed, he acknowledged the sins of his forefathers. Daniel, in a powerful and a beautiful prayer in Daniel chapter 9. It's gorgeous prayer. It says it's a model for prayer. One of the things that Daniel did, though he was a very godly guy, is he said, hey, my people are sinful. We are sinful. My forefathers are sinful. And acknowledge it. So that would be one way to pray. So to move quickly away from that to the second one, remember this one thing, and that is there are many different ways in the Bible, so you should kind of rifle through your Bible and find out all these different things the Bible says of ways to pray against these besetting sins. But one of them would be simply to acknowledge, look, you know, our people are sinners. They're good at that. And I acknowledge that, and I recognize I'm going to be vulnerable in the areas where my family has been vulnerable, and I would suggest that's one. Here's a second one, and that is simply pray for deliverance from temptation and from evil. It says this in the Lord's Prayer. If Jesus said to his disciples, pray to be delivered from evil and temptation, I would recommend that you pray to be delivered from evil and temptation. So you get up in the morning, it might be a part of your daily routine, and that's the Lord, keep me from evil today. Keep me from temptation today. Help me, Lord. This is serious. I, I want to be holy like you're holy. And so pray for deliverance from that. Here's a third. Cry out. And this is what we call like desperate prayer. Uh, we have four boys. We have four girls. Um, there's, uh, you, you, so you kind of know the, the frustrated cry and the daddy, I'm in pain cry, right? If you have kids. Uh, I have the, with the daughters, for instance, you know, there's a certain cry that you hear when one girl borrows the other girl's sweater and stretches it out, right? And then there's that cry that you hear when one girl slams the other girl's hand in the car door. And when a dad is sitting in his recliner watching his favorite football team and you hear the second cry, a good dad springs out of that recliner, right? And like Superman, he goes out there and he does whatever he has to do to get the door open because there's that desperate cry. I just want to tell you that from my own 
personal experience, I can tell you that God wants to hear you cry out in desperation to him when you need him. This is all through the Old Testament. The words often used for cry are the loud, desperate cry. There's something powerful about desperate prayer. I went to a conference one time, and I was struggling with a besetting sin. I won't tell you what it was, but it was lust. And so I was at this conference, and and I was at this conference, and a guy gets up at the beginning, and he says, it was a number of years ago, and he gets up and he says, gentlemen, I want to tell you something. For those of you who have come today, I want you to know there's a level of moral purity that you can achieve that you have never achieved before. And I thought to myself, that would be really nice, because since I was 14 years old, this has been a daily struggle for me. And I thought, could that possibly be true? Then he had this kind of convoluted teaching. This was a little off the wall. This kind of convoluted teaching about, you know, taking back ground prayers, formulate kinds of prayers. And my little, like, radar went up, and I thought, that doesn't sound like really good theology, but something about it was appealing, and that the guy was saying, you take, you, you, that, that this, this new level of moral purity comes when you ask God for it. He was saying you ask God for it in a special way with all this kind of, like, stuff. I got in my van that night, right? And I was all the way over on the other side of the state. I was heading all the way across the state. And I got in my van that night and decided I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm going to talk to God. And all the way across the state, I went back over my life. And I, and I said, to, you know, he was talking about Ephesians and, and chapter 4, verse 27 to 29. says, don't, don't give a place to the devil. And if the Bible says don't give a place to the devil, guess what? It's possible to give a place to the devil, which sounds like a really bad idea. What if I gave a place to the devil in the area of my secret moral thought life? How sad is that, right? And so I thought to myself, well, God, if I yielded a place, and since I've had many immoral thoughts throughout my lifetime, maybe what I ought to do is go back to God and say to God, God, every time I remember a time that I allowed myself to have an immoral thought, I'm asking you to take back that ground. Anyway, I just prayed for hours across the state last night. That night, many years ago, and as a result of that desperate prayer, God gave me a new level of moral purity that I honestly never thought it was possible for a man to have. And let's not get all distracted by that lust thing, because there are all kinds of other foul, terrible, destructive sins that bring men and women into bondage, including sexual sin. But I'm, what I'm trying to say is, I'm not really sure the theology that God taught me that day was true. But this is what I believe. When a person gets behind the wheel of their car and they drive for three and a half hours and they spend three and a half hours in a desperate prayer to God, there's a God in heaven who says, Kenny's hand is slammed in the door and I'm going to go and I'm going to get his hand out of the door. The God of heaven loves you and he cares about you and he hears your desperate cry. And sometimes we just need to go where no one's going to hear us but God and cry out to God there's power in that. So pray acknowledging the sins of your forefathers. Pray a prayer for deliverance. Pray desperate prayers, crying out to God. The Bible says in Psalm 50 and verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. This is the pattern. Call on me in the day of trouble, and then you're going to have a testimony because I'm going to deliver you, and then you can glorify me. Psalm 55, 17 says, evening and morning and at noon, I'll cry out to you, God, in distress. And over and over and over in the Bible, many dozens of times, the Bible talks about this desperate cry that's really getting serious with God. And I would suggest that you 
uh, pray desperate prayers. Here's a fourth one. Uh, the, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians there, chapter 5 and verse 17, you're familiar with this phrase, pray without ceasing. Now the only way to do that is to just kind of pray like you breathe. It's for everything to remind you of your communion and your communication and your, and, and especially when we're talking about here, you know, Jesus in the garden, he says to his disciples, watch and pray or you will enter into temptation, right? So if you're going to have temptation throughout the day, you could have temptation in the morning or at noon or night, then you should have continual intimacy, fellowship, conversation with God all throughout the day. And there are a lot of different ways of doing that. You know, I, I remember once when I was with a friend and a siren, you know, an emergency vehicle went by and we heard the siren and he goes, just a minute. And he says, I always like to stop and pray for whoever's in trouble. Well, that's beautiful. Sometimes you think, well, I'm tempted to covet. That's a good time to pray. You look at the catalog, there's stuff you don't need, you're already in debt, pray. When you're tempted to covet, really quiet in the house. Everybody's like, ooh. Uh. Later, after this purchase, we'll do that. Yeah, or, or when you're tempted to complain. We are a, wh- a bunch of whiners sometimes. Woe is me, the world is like, you know. I like the overcome song. Like, Jesus overcome, he's, he is the overcomer. He's going to win in the end. We're on his side. We win in the end. Stop your whining all the time. Come on, brother. Seriously. Crabby britches. Seriously. People say, can I go to church with you? Because I love being with people who are crabby all the time. Who have a really, <laughs> we got to be kind of careful about that. Del Fazenfeld was the founder of a ministry called Life Action. And Del was a serious, like, prophet-type preacher. If you listen to him, he's like, take the hair off of your head, talking about sin. Have breakfast with him one morning. And I was a little hesitant to do it because he was such a prophet, you know, preaching against sin and exposing sin. And I was a little hesitant. And I was like, this guy's going to see right through me, and he's going to tell all the bad stuff, and then he's going to throw me out in the street, you know. So we ordered breakfast. I'll never forget sitting with Del Fazenfeld, and he's been with the Lord for years now. I remember sitting in a restaurant in Niles, Michigan, and him listening to me, and I just kind of poured my heart out to him in honesty about some things in my life that I was working on, struggling with, some marriage stuff that Lois and I were wrestling with and the needs that we had. And I thought, when I tell him this, he's just going to go, get out of my sight, you know. But he listened, and he goes, you know, Ken, you have a heart for God. You have a heart for God. And people with a heart for God God will help them. If you turn yourself over to God, you have a heart for God. I was so encouraged. Dell didn't just, you know, expose the sin. He also encouraged our hearts. Jesus is going to overcome in the end. We're with him and in him. We're going to win. We're going to overcome. You can overcome sin. And so I would suggest that you use prayer to overcome sin. And one kind of prayer is to acknowledge our sin, to acknowledge our family's sin to pray for deliverance from sin, to cry out to God in prayer, to practice unceasing prayer, to take prayer walks, to take prayer drives, to pray. You know, it would be probably a good idea when you're watching TV and you just think, this is worthless. Wheel of fortune is worthless. Jeopardy, that's different. Wheel of fortune is worthless. Like my wife likes wheel of fortune. I'm like, why are we watching this? You know, we should be praying right now. Hold on, Jeopardy's on. We'll watch that. But, uh, but there's probably some TV program that you just don't need. You just turn it off and go out and take a walk. Listen to bird song. Talk to God. You know, take a little drive. I know a pastor one time, it's kind of creepy, but he took a drive and he would go past the people, people's houses in his church. 
And we would go, pa- I mean, if, you know, you're not going to see me doing this creeping on you out by the road, you know, looking at you. It, my, don't worry about it. I mean, I'm going to pray for you probably in my office. But anyway, and he would like, but he would drive, some, sometimes he couldn't sleep at night. He would just drive in the night. He would drive through the neighborhoods where his parishioners were. And he would lift them up to God. He would, he would take a prayer drive or, or a prayer walk. And you're a Sunday school teacher. And you got a little, a wanna teacher. And you got little kids that they look to you like, do you remember their name in prayer through the week? Here's what you could do. When you're tempted to a particular sin, you could say, that's when I pray for my Iwana kids. And every time the devil tempts you, he's working for God. Because every time he tempts you, you're going to pray for your Iwana kids. Isn't that a cool idea? This is kind of like one of the ways to pray without ceasing. I have a friend, his name is Luke Cyrus. Luke is a friend of my son Chuck's, and they spent some time together. Chuck called me on the phone one day, and he said to me, you know, Luke and I were out together the other day, and Luke is a great guy. He really loves the Lord. Uh, Chuck says, I started to talk bad about somebody who was unkind to me. And right then, Luke just listened for a minute, and then he goes, well, Chuck, let's pray about that right now. And Luke just says, Lord, this guy's irritating Chuck, and it would be easy for us just to talk about him, but like, God, I pray that you help him with whatever is in his life that's making him that way. And I thought, wow, what a powerful thing. Luke was practicing this idea of praying without ceasing. And that is when you're tempted to gossip about somebody, brother, pray. We would have a revival if we would stop gossiping and we start praying. If we stop complaining, we start complaining about the world and how wicked and evil it is and we're going to be overcome with the evil. Like, whoa, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Did you ever hear that Bible verse? Can we get some prayer here, brothers? Can we get some prayer here, sisters? Stop your belly aching and pray. Like, get, you know, read the Frank Peretti novels where, you know, you ever see those, ever read those in the Frank Peretti novels? They're, they're like showing what's happening in this little village. And then they're describing what's happening in the heavenlies. And, they, you know, it's fanciful, but they're saying, and the angels are saying, can we get some prayer cover here? We need some prayer cover. Bethel, what would happen at Bethel? If we got more prayer cover, you know, right? No, we, we don't want to involve ourselves in, in empty talk or sinful talk or slanderous talk or gossipy talk or any of that stuff. You know? But we want to give ourselves to prayer. So this is like praying without ceasing. Now, that, that brings me to one that I wanted to emphasize today. And, and it's such an important one. And it may be the one I want you to leave. I want you to leave with this in, in your heart. And to show it to you beautifully, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 32. This is Psalm 32 is, is known that there are different categories of psalms, as you know. And Psalm 32 is a penitent psalm. For instance, Psalm 51 is a penitent psalm. You know that. It's, a, it's like how to pray when you're overwhelmed with your own sinfulness, when you need to confess your sin to God. And this is a powerful tool to craft a holy life, and that is the, the prayer of confession. Acknowledging sin and confessing our sin and, and we're, and we're going to point out in a minute that it's not a one-time thing, but it's a thing that you do, you do it over and over again. Now, David is in this psalm is saying, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. This is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, that's, a, that's a, as happy as it's humanly possible to be word. Blessed happy joyful is the man against whom the lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit for when i kept silent in other words when i wouldn't confess or acknowledge my sin my bones wasted away 
through my groaning all the day long, for the day and night your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was dried up like the heat of summer. He says, but when I acknowledged my sin to you, verse 5, and this is the heart of it, when I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. He forgave the iniquity of my sin. He forgave my willful sin. Now, you know that David is known as a man after God's own heart, but he's also known as a man who had indulged himself in some pretty messed up stuff, some sin. But he said, and when I wouldn't confess or acknowledge my sin, then it was like my, my life was just drying up. But when I acknowledge my sin, it's like springtime came to my soul. I want to tell you that one of the most powerful ways for us to craft a holy life is just simply when we sin, be honest and acknowledge it. This is, human, this is true in human relationships, right? Are you married? And, you know, and, and I know that there are married people, many married people, who secretly have a secret longing for their mate to just admit when they did something wrong. But it never happens, or it rarely happens. There's something powerful in human relationships, right? When a person just says, hey, I, I wasn't, I didn't, I was not thoughtful to you. I was selfish. That wasn't right the way I talked to you. Will you forgive me? Right? In human relationships, in marriages, in, in a, you know, father-son, mother-daughter, father-daughter, right? In the human relationships, we know it's powerful for a person just to say, you know what I did? What I did yesterday, I, re- I thought about it, and it wasn't right. And I want to ask you to forgive me. Listen, Mom, I, I love you. I'm not going to pick on you, beat you up. I, I want to be a friend, but listen to me. Mom, you got kids. If they were to tell all their soul to a trusted counselor, would they say, my mom, she's not perfect, but she asked forgiveness when she hurts me. Men, men, if, if, if your wife, if she could just tell her heart and it would be okay, would she say, well, my husband's not perfect, but I will tell you this, he's got a tender heart. He's got a tender heart because you can't go very long before he'll come back and he'll make that right. Some people, that just, it just it never happens. We just know that in human relationships, it's extremely powerful to just admit when you did, did you confess your sin, admit your sin. Some marriages, it, it, you know, it, it would just be like, it would be like a revival to the marriage if we were just honest about our, our wrongs. And, and that's a powerful thing. You know that to be true. It could be, it could turn things around in your company sometimes, just acknowledging our sin. But here's the most important thing. This is how you get springtime to come to your soul. You're not without sin, Right? But when you acknowledge your sin to God, when you confess, that's what David is saying right here, then springtime came to my soul. Came to my soul. First John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9 are talking about this confession like continual confession. Right? If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What's that talking about? If you back up to verse 7, you see it's, it's, conf- it's confession, walking in the light, verse 7, is identified in verse 9 as confessing your sin. So what I'm saying is, we continually we get in the habit of continually confessing your sin. Let's go, let's go to camp. Yeah, I spent my summer at camp, so my brain is wired. So let's go to camp. You're a kid at camp again, all right? And, and here's what I would say to you if you were a kid at camp. I would say this. I, I know kids who never admit they're wrong. 
and they never admit their sin to God, and their lives are going to melt down. And I know other kids who are tender-hearted and they're willing to confess their sin to God. And I've followed those kids' lives for years, and God's favor and blessing. And you know, they were sad. They, they, they're the. Are you the kind of kid that's that when you do wrong, you admit it and you confess that sin? Now let's go back to like adulthood again. Back here, here and now. What kind of kid are you? What kind of adult are you? Are you tender-hearted? I'm speaking in in um, Texas a number of years ago, and I was preaching about. God's work in my own life in areas where I have turned areas of my life over to the Lord and the Lord's worked in my life. And it was a really hard talk to give because it was like four or five different examples of, of things that weren't particularly flattering, but I saw the hand of God in them in my life to help me. And when I got to the end of that talk, it was a large, large like convention center, like 2,500 people there. This guy comes down the aisle with his son and he's, a, he's weeping. And he, and he comes to me, and he waits until he can talk with me. And then he says to me, I'm so afraid. And his son is standing there, just a nice young man, clean-cut young man standing there next to him, and he looks really concerned, and the dad is just sobbing. And I said, what's wrong? And he goes, I think my son's going to rebel. I looked over at him, I thought, well, he looks, you know, he doesn't look like he's rebelling right now. He's right here with you, and he looks concerned. I said, what would make you think that he would rebel? He goes, I just feel like when he turns 18, he's going to walk away from our family, he's going to walk away from the Lord, and he's never going to come back. And I said, why would you think that? And then he just wept even more, and he said, because when he was 14, I beat him. I didn't just spank him. I beat him. And I, and I just know that when I beat him, that was the end of our relationship. And he will never be able to forgive me. And when he gets 18, he's going to walk away from our family. And he's going to walk away from the Lord. I said, can I talk to your boy? I said, does your dad beat, does he ever beat you again? No. Did your dad ask you forgiveness for what he did to you? Yes. Did you forgive him? Yes. So do you love your dad? Yeah, I love him. I said, are you going to walk away from the Lord? Are you going to walk away from your family when you turn 18? No, I'm not going to do that. I said, why don't you tell your dad that? Tell him you forgive him. I forgive you, dad. I was just sobbing. I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we just get down on our knees right here? And why don't we just talk to the Lord? And why don't, we just, why don't you just tell him again, you know, Lord, you know I, what I did to my boy was so sinful and so wrong, and I, and I love him, and, and God, um, you know, thank you that you forgave me for that. And then, son, why don't you pray and say, tell your dad you love him and tell the Lord you're going to walk with the Lord. And there they were just praying and weeping and it was awesome. It was awesome. If you'd have seen it, you'd have thought, oh, that's terrible. Look at them. They're just crying and they're carrying on. It's like, it was beautiful. I stood there and I watched that father and son walk down that long aisle, arm in arm out the door. God loves you and you can be so close to him if you will be honest about your sin. And one of the most powerful things that you can do to craft a holy life is when you sin, you acknowledge it to God and you tell the truth. Give me a couple minutes of overtime, I'll tell you one more thing. When I was a boy, I was, uh, my dad said to me, he said, Kenny, he said, uh, you're, you need a new bike. I'm like, yeah. 
my dad is old school. He goes, you need, to, you need to take some of the money that you've been earning and you need to lay away a bike and pay, a, pay the bike off. I'm like, oh, I see how this is going to work, yeah. So I, uh, I lay away this bike and, and I start making the payments. So my dad reminds me to go make the payment on my bike. It's in the middle of winter time and it went down the Western Auto, laid away the bike. It was an awesome bike, brand new shiny thing. I go look at it. I'd make the payment. I'd go in the back room and look at my bike. This is going to be awesome. Midwinter, I began to do the calculations, and I thought, there's no way in the world I'm going to get the bike paid off by springtime. It just is. I'm just, my payments aren't high enough. My dad's only letting me divert so much money from my college savings account because I was a very bright young man. He knew I was going to go to college, right? And so he said, you got to put this in your college savings account, and you can put this on your bike. And I was just doing the numbers, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to get my bike paid off until, like, I'm 94. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget this. The last week of school, my dad comes to me and he says, Kenny, I'm really proud of you. You've been working hard, making those payments on a bike. I think it's time you get that bike. Here's what I think you should do. I think Saturday morning, you should go down there. It's your first Saturday out of school. I think you should go down there, and I think you should take some money out of your college fund, and I think you should go over to Western Auto, and I think you should pay off your bike. I'm like, I think so too. And so I remember going down the bank and taking my little passbook thing out and taking that money out to pay my $69 bike off. It was a beautiful bike. I went over to Western Auto, and I got on that bike. I remember it it was 16 degrees this morning when I woke up. 16. It's April, and it was 16 degrees. I'm like, I'm looking forward to some springtime around here, aren't you? It was, it was the day I got my bike. It was the first day of summer. No more yucky school at all. And I had a brand new bike. And I remember riding my bike down the main street of my town, hair blowing in the wind without a care in the world. There's only one way your soul can be happy as a boy on the first day of spring. And that's if you God and receive his forgiveness. Bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to go home, but I wonder, you would do something old-fashioned right now, and I just want to ask you a question. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if God worked on your heart today, and you have sin that you need to confess to God, and sin that you need to confess maybe to somebody else, and the Lord burned your heart, why don't you, why don't you put your hand up to indicate your tender heart, your humility to God? Would you do that? Put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these that have had their their hearts made tender by the word and and help us lord spare us from the death and destruction and bondage and sadness and humiliation that sin brings into our lives even letting the little sins into our lives and lord this week i pray that you would give us uh help us to see the beauty of holiness and that it is a compelling and beautiful and wonderful thing that springtime would just blow into our soul we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.